1: This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end.
0: The Golden Edge Podcast is brought to you by the DeCastro Verde Law Group. Our motivation is you.
1: What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about Western Conference Final hockey. Uh, I, of course, am Ben Goetz, one of your Golden Knights beat writers for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Joining me on the line is my colleague Dave Shane. We just got done watching the Golden Knights first game against the Dallas Stars in the 2020 Western Conference Final. And we're going to break it all down for you guys today, as well as the last two games of their second round series against the Vancouver Canucks, because we have not talked to you guys since then. So, yeah, there's a lot of catching up to do uh, about some very important games, and we're excited to do it. Before we get going, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is sponsored by the Castro Verde Law Group. We are also presented by DoorDash, Sunday Ticket, and Favor, drinkafavor.com. Also, please check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com. We're going to have three stories off game one tonight online for you guys to check out. And, of course, we will have multiple stories up every single day, basically, until the night's postseason run ends Uh, Also a reminder to rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, we do to this one. Uh, We hope you guys like what we do and we have some hopefully exciting news for you guys about what we're going to try to do the rest of the postseason as well. Uh, What we're actually going to try to do is we're going to try to do these podcasts after every game from now on. We'll probably keep them a little bit shorter, but we're going to try to recap uh, these games really quickly for you guys because... Obviously, these are the most important games of the Golden Knights season and whether they play three more games or 13, we want to make sure that we give you guys some pretty quick analysis on all of them. So, you know, make sure you're checking your podcast feed every night after the Golden Knights wrap up, because hopefully by the time we're done uh, editing and turning in our stories, you guys will have fresh audio content to listen to. Uh, So we're going to spend a lot of the time on this episode recapping game one of that star series and kind of breaking down the stars, too, since we haven't had time to do kind of a preview podcast for you guys. But first, I want to wrap up the Vancouver series. Uh, Dave, the last time we chatted on this podcast, basically neither of us said we were that worried after the Golden Knights lost game five. And it turns out there actually was a reason to be worried and his name was Thatcher Demko. Uh, the Canucks rookie goaltender was just incredible down the stretch. He made 98 consecutive saves at one point. He shut out the Knights in game six. He shut them out for almost 54 minutes in a really tight, really tense game seven. The Knights just dominated on the shot clock and shot attempts, scoring chances, and basically anything that can be tracked in a hockey game The Knights had a commanding lead-in except the scoreboard for most of those last two games. Um, We're going to talk about a lot of storylines that emerged from Game 6 and Game 7 because they kind of relate to what we saw in Game 1 of the Western Conference Final against the Dallas Stars. Uh, But first, Dave, I want to start with this. How surprised, impressed, whatever you want to put on it, were you that the Knights had a match penalty in Game 7 against the Canucks?
0: And they actually killed it off. Well, I'll say this. If they go on to win the Stanley Cup, that will be like the most 2020, you know, laugh in your face, hockey gods moment of all. Like, it's just so fitting, you know, of of all things. If Pete, Pete DeBoer kind of used the term, you know, each team has its adversity. If that's the adversity and the hump that they had to get over once it was presented to them and they go on to win this thing, I mean that, that wouldn't it, it's just so fitting, wouldn't it be? It would be absolutely in
1: incredibly uh, fitting. I mean, overall, Dave. Just what was it like from your vantage point watching, you know, Game Six, but especially that Game Seven because it was only the second Game Seven in Golden Knights history. Obviously, uh, fans probably don't need to be reminded how the first one went against the San Jose Sharks last postseason. The game that, of course, had the controversial major penalty call on Cody Eakin that the NHL basically later had to apologize for to the Knights uh, that led to the Sharks coming back from a 3-0 deficit to win 5-4 in overtime and end the Golden Knights season. Um, but just what were some of your kind of key takeaways from how that second-round series from the Canucks you know, actually wrapped up? Because I don't think either of us were expecting... That to necessarily go seven games when we last talked. And certainly I wasn't expecting it to be tied in a game seven for basically 54 minutes. No, let me,
0: I mean, I'll, let me actually start on the other side because I think it's fascinating if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan right now, because you basically had a rookie backup goaltender who is highly thought of and was, you know, a high draft pick play out of his mind for three games and it might completely change the direction of that franchise and in determining whether Jacob Markstrom comes back. I mean, I think you, may have priced himself out anyway in terms of what he wanted versus what the Canucks had budgeted but just the emergence of Thatcher Demko i mean he's going to end up depending on what happens with his career he's going to be like this this cult hero in Vancouver now you know 2025 20, years from now people are going to talk about the Thatcher Demko series and things and we'll see what he turns into but i that that's really what the story was in and, and the Knights all of a sudden getting frustrated and gripping the stick and not being able to you know solve a kid who was playing really well i thought you know maybe different from what they felt like i don't know but i felt like in game five there were a lot of shots that were in his chest and they were making it easy on him and i don't i don't know so much about the traffic and things like that i think that's an easy excuse for the coach to fall back on after a game when you throw a bunch of shots on a guy and you don't score. Oh, we need to get more traffic. I think a lot of those shots were just from the perimeter, easy stops, you know, and and when they were tough sh- shots, high danger areas, grade A chances, those were the shots that the Knights seemed to be either one, missing the net or two, putting it right into Demko's crest. And and so I don't think they were doing themselves any favors and then, you know, in a series that starts to grow and the psychological impact, impact starts to take hold and, you know, credit to the Knights that they fought through it. And it was a zero, zero game. Robin Leonard makes the save of the series. Um, probably, you know, a save that that we'll be talking about depending on what happens here uh going forward for you know potentially a whole lot of years. I mean that was a was a major point in that game to keep it zero zero. And and they found a way. And that's what good teams do. When maybe you're not playing your best, you you still find a way. Alec Martinez mentioned that and you know I've seen that in other sports. We've we've talked about that before. And you know maybe that's the the best sign, I guess you could say for the Knights going forward is that they've found a way. But they need to figure out how to score some goals because right now it, the offense is dried up.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we can talk about that moving forward here because then we can move on to, um, game one of the Western conference final, because I want to, you know, put kind of the offensive struggles that we saw down the stretch in the Vancouver series. And of course the goaltending that you brought up with Robin Leonard's just spectacular robbery of Brock Besser kind of into the game one discussion bin as well. Uh, So, speaking of Game 1, the Knights are now 0-2 in Game 1 of the Western Conference Final in their history because they lost 1-0 to the Dallas Stars on Sunday. We're recording this, I would say, about two hours-ish after the game has ended, so we're kind of coming to you guys with our pretty raw thoughts and uh, kind of analysis from this game I think the big takeaway from this game for me, Dave, that maybe we can start on before jumping into kind of some of those other topics we we talked about or have touched on already is I think it's fair to say this is the first time since the postseason proper. So post round robin got started that the Knights were really, truly, thoroughly outplayed to me. You know, I think for the most part, they lost just once to the Blackhawks, and that was because Corey Crawford kind of played out of his mind, stood on his head. Two of their three losses to the Canucks that we kind of just briefly touched on there came down to Thatcher Demko just being outstanding, standing on his head. Now, they did make a lot of defensive mistakes in game two against Vancouver, and so maybe you could bring up that game as an example, as one the Knights maybe, you know, got outplayed in, but... Even still, I feel like this game felt different. And I don't mean different as in like, oh, man, the Knights have an opponent that they, you know, can't handle necessarily. Because I think we even saw in the Vancouver series, the Knights blew out the Canucks in game one. And Vancouver came storming right back to force a game seven. So it's not like the Knights, I think, are in you know deep trouble already here. But I think it does feel like this is the first time that they're punching against someone That is for sure
0: in their same weight class. Do you get that same feeling? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you think, I mean, okay, let's take out the round robin. I mean, well, well, actually, no, because I think, you know, they, the first period against Colorado, I thought they were pretty well outplayed. Um, I would agree with you, though. And and I think part of that's because Dallas just is a better team than than Chicago and a better team than Vancouver. I mean, you look at the record from the regular season, you look at the stats in terms of Dallas being a team that was, you know, second in the league in goals against, you know, per game. They're deeper, they're stronger, they're better. They've got an elite defenseman, you know, and Haskinen. They've got you know, a lineup that, especially with what they threw out tonight in game one, I thought it was interesting the way that Rick bonus kind of spread his guys out and, and really kind of rolled his four lines and, and presented a problem on every line for the Knights in terms of somebody that could score. Um, it's a different kind of matchup. It's, it's a different kind of top six that you're seeing, you know, it's, it's guys like Sagan and, And Pavelski guys that go to the net as opposed to, you know, kind of that pure, I guess, skill element, you know, like a Pedersen, things like that. Not to say that Sagan's not, you know, immensely talented, that Jamie Ben's not immensely talented. They're just different players. They're bigger, stronger, physical, kind of that heavy style that, you know, has been sort of the topic uh, of conversation going into this series. So, yeah, all those things factor into it. and, And Pete DeBoer said it tonight after the game, it's going to be a different series. This is not, you know, teams that kind of run and gun. And, you know, as much as Dallas has relied maybe on offense a little bit in the postseason more than it did in the regular season, I think a lot of that's just a successful power play. And and they, they're they still, you know, they still are who they are, I guess. And, and they showed that tonight and that's going to be tough. Not to go too far back, but, you know, all the things that we talked about, uh, you know, when the Knights potentially could have played Arizona, you know, all the threat that Arizona presented as, you know, a team that's really good defensively and you're getting into, you know, 2-1, one you know, long 0-0 type stretches of games, that's dangerous. And, and Dallas is even better at it than Arizona. So it's absolutely going to be a threat. They're absolutely the best team that they've played so far and, and you figure that's going to be reflected, you know, over the next, you know, handful of games. Yeah. Let's, you mentioned, you know,
1: Pete DeBoer and some of his thoughts post game one, let's actually hear from the golden Knights coach right now. They, they were exactly what we expected
0: them to be, you know, uh, they're one or two in the league and, in all the defensive analytics all year. And, uh, You know, they play a hard, heavy game they make you work for your offense. And if you're not willing to to work uh, for offense and support offensively, then, uh, you know, they're not going to hand it to you. And I think that was uh, the case tonight. So there
1: are some of DeBoer's initial thoughts after game one of the series, which, of course, represents the final four in the NHL. So. You know, now to kind of tie in the end of the Vancouver series here, Dave, the Knights have been shut out in two of their last three games, Uh, two of their goals in game seven that they scored were empty netters. So in the last three games, they have one goal against a goaltender, and it was by a defenseman, Shea Theodore, who, of course, is a defenseman that has been really, really good. But you would think a lot of the Knights highly paid forwards would be able to step up as well. So, how much, I guess, you know, blame, for lack of a better word, do we put the Knights' lack of offensive production on them not finding ways to get more pucks in the net versus, you know, how well either defensively or just straight up how well goaltenders are playing against them right now? Well,
0: so tonight, I feel like is a little bit of an aberration. I feel like I want to give them a pass on the letdown and the game seven and just the emotions and and not being able to get up for it. and And they turned it on in the third period. It was similar to what they tried to do or what they were able to do, excuse me, against Dallas in the round robin and kind of win it in the third period. This time they couldn't crack Hudobin. So I, I mean, if they're going to stick to that formula. Going forward, I don't think that's going to work. But I do think that, you know, there were some some moments where it felt like it was a little bit of puck luck where, like, you know, they got some bounces and there were some loose pucks and some rebounds and they they just kind of weren't able to get it. But there, it also feels like at times, and I don't know how much of this is maybe the ice surface, but that they're just not kind of creating off the rush and they're not creating, you know, these really good chances. They're not forcing... You know, outstanding saves. I can think of one or two that Demko made, but I can't really think of any tonight where, you know, they had an odd man rush and you get a pass across the ice and force the goalie to come across his crease, or you know, you create a good chance, you know, from a pass beyond the net for, you know, you know, a shot from the slot, or even more so, just something on the power play. I mean, their power play was putrid tonight. I mean, they got two chances and they ruined them within like 30 seconds on two of them. And then they had a, a power play to start the third period and fresh ice and just basically, you know, stepped on their leg. Uh, i trying to be nice. I can't use the phrase that I really want to use. Um, you know, but I mean, those are little areas where if you're trying to generate offense, you know, you score a power play goal or two and, and all of a sudden, you know, it looks a lot better on the score sheet at the end. So I, I do think. You know, part of it is on them, and and I do think part of it is on teams playing well defensively. I thought, you know, Vancouver especially, you know, kind of quietly did a great job guarding the house, packing it in, and and they seemed to get to every loose puck, every rebound in front of the net. The Knights are laying down on the ice like bowling pins that had been knocked over seemingly every time. You know, after Demko had made that first save, so some of that's you know the onus is on them to get to those loose pucks and and score that way you know get some deflections and and score the way that teams are scoring against them and and not try to you know necessarily skate the puck into the net every time yeah it was interesting by the end of that
1: Vancouver series the Canucks were literally just packing it around the paint as you said and i don't mean that in just they kind of dropped an extra guy or two there i mean there were times where literally all five canuck skaters we're right around the paint trying to tie up sticks, grab loose pucks and just kind of, you know, concede the fact that we're not going to try real hard to uh you know generate a bunch the other way. We're just going to limit you, hope you get frustrated, hope you make a mistake and kind of count on our top-end skill guys to pounce on a turnover if and when it comes. And that formula, you know, as we already touched on, almost worked uh except Robin Leonard made a just absolutely fantastic save on Brock Besser, otherwise we could be doing kind of a night season autopsy right now, rather than talking about, you know, the Western Conference Final and game one of it. You've counted on restaurants. Now, they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With nfl NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out of market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Uh, And speaking of goaltenders, that's where I want to go next, Dave. Uh, So Leonard started back-to-back in Game 6 and 7. The Knights played their last two games of that Canucks series on consecutive days, and Leonard started them both. He got the shutout in game seven and then DeBoer went back to Marc-Andre Fleury uh, for the first time in about a week tonight in game one. Credit to DeBoer. I think this is definitely not the way a lot of fans saw this goaltending situation play out. It's not even how I necessarily thought he would use his goaltenders. But despite the fact that the Knights lost tonight, uh the goaltending tandem has been really, really effective. Like I said, Leonard got that shutout in Game 7. And then Marc-Andre Fleury gave up a goal on the first shot he saw tonight in Game 1. But then he made a 24 straight saves. And defenseman Nate Schmidt had a lot of praise for Fleury tonight. Before we discuss kind of the Golden Knights goalie situation, let's listen in to Nate Schmidt. Uh, I think, uh, it took us a while to get our legs going. I mean, we didn't come out to play you know, from the start of the game. Um, for the first 35 min- minutes of the game, we were back on our toes and they were all over us and there weren't a lot of plays to be made for us as we weren't, uh, out there supporting each other and getting our feet moving. And, yeah, you know, the last 20 minutes we, we started to play a little bit better cause we started to get our, our feet moving finally. And we started getting close to each other to make some plays and, that game is a much more out of reach if it's not for Flower for the first two periods, you know. I mean, that's it's the truth. I mean, we didn't play well, and in that game could have been a lot worse than one-nothing than after two periods. So there's Nate Schmidt with a lot of praise for his goaltender tonight in and Mark Andre flurry. Now there are no backs to backs in the Western Conference final, and Leonard now will have uh four days of rest before game two if he gets the nod there. Um so Dave just What are your thoughts on how the goaltending situation sets up now? How DeBoer has handled it to this point? And I know we talked about last podcast that we thought, you know, Fleury might not get a game in the rest of this postseason. Well, now the fact that he's basically played really well his last three starts, uh, taking out his first postseason start against the St. Louis Blues. Is there any chance that
0: the door is kind of open for him to still keep getting games here. I think potentially, I mean, it's hard to say. And part of this is because, you know, I mean, I I'm with you and obviously I was on record. Like I said, I didn't think we would see Mark Andre Fleury play another game in a night's uniform after that Canucks game. I didn't see it because I kind of foresaw, you know, a schedule or a situation like this where there weren't back to backs and Robin Leonard, you know, is a big, strong guy, and you figure he's a workhorse. And every other game is is not, you know, anything that's out of the question for a goaltender. And then, you know, I think about it more and more today, and then it makes total sense to be able to start Mark Andre Fleury in Game One. Robin Leonard played three games in four days, and yeah, he had an extra day of, you know, rest in there between, you know, what would have been Game One, but. That's the luxury you have. You're not going to, you know... I mean, if you're Dallas, just say, this isn't going to Jake Ottinger or something like that because, you know, Hudoba needs a break and you're just going to say, okay, well, we'll just, you know, kind of roll the dice on game one and whatever happens, you know, maybe we get it, maybe we don't, and then we'll figure it out. They're not doing, you're you're throwing Marc-Andre Fleury out there. So that's the luxury that Pete DeBoer has talked about this whole time and, you know... W- w- <laughs> I mean I don't want to like be the sarcastic, you know, smart aleck here, but he's kept to his word. Like he's said we're going to need them both and we're going to use them both and maybe he hasn't used them the way that he did in the regular season where they're alternating, but he's looked at this and 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 utilize depth. He said that with the forwards and the and and whatever. And he's looked at the goaltending in the same way that these guys need a break and they need a rest. And we can't just look at it like a normal playoff. And for him to get a performance like he got out of marc Andre Fleury, like you said, it would have if they scored two goals. If they scored a goal, they give him any sort of run support. You know, Pietzabore looks like a genius again. So. I guess tip your hat going forward. I would expect to see Robin Leonard in the in the crease, though. I mean, unless something happens, unless he struggles, unless you feel like we need a, you know, a spark if they're behind in the series or something like that. Because right now, at least you know if you've got flurry in your back pocket, that he's playing well. You're not just going to a guy who's cold and you don't know what you're getting. He's actually playing well. So it gives him another option you know, more options are better, I guess. Right. No, totally.
1: And like I said, full credit to Pete Devore for, I think, having an open mind on how to use those options. Cause I think, like I said, just put it, you know, on what my thought process was coming into tonight before we heard who the goal center was going to be. I was just like, Oh, Robin Leonard's the guy. He's their number one. Thus, obviously he's going to start game one tonight. And I give, you know DeBoer credit for kind of looking at the situation maybe a little bit, you know, seriously or objectively or thoroughly and saying, you know, you know, what I think this is a actually really good time to get my number two some action. And like I said, it almost worked. And I think DeBoer's had a lot of good moments this postseason. Uh, Obviously, you know, they lost tonight, but in Game 7, he mixed up the forward lines and got really good results. He called a timeout right before the Golden Knights scored the game-winning goal off the power play with Shea Theodore. And, of course, he started Leonard in both games of the back-to-back and got the shutout in Game 7. So, that was a really successful night for Pete DeBoer. Tonight almost was a successful night for him in terms of the goalie situation, but it ultimately wasn't meant to be. And like we said earlier, the Knights are down one, nothing in this series. Um, So now before we kind of wrap up here, Dave, I want to touch on some broader talking points for this series as a whole, because, you know, one game is over, but I think, you know, despite the fact that the Knights lost, as I said earlier, I don't think they're necessarily outgunned in this series just because they lost one game. I think this series has the potential to Go back and forth a little bit and get really interesting. So, you know, to get into some of the things I'm looking for the rest of the way here. uh, Number one, the stars defensemen lead the league in postseason points, which uh, I think is a really fascinating topic, especially because, as you touched on, the stars have a just stud defenseman in second year pro Miro Haskinen, which sets up really nicely for an easy comparison with Shea Theodore, who leads the Golden Knights, of course, in postseason points with 16. As I mentioned earlier, he got that game winning goal in game seven. And, uh, you know, we touched on this earlier, but Mark Stone said he's a Norris caliber defenseman. Pete DeBoer has basically said, yeah, I agree with Mark Stone multiple times already. So, watching, you know, those two go back and forth is going to be just so, so fun to watch.
0: And I think it was even fun to watch some of the stuff those two guys were trying even in game one. So I, w- I guess I'll admit my man crush on Miro Heskinen. Like, I am a huge, 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 huge fan. Like, that's the most exciting part of this series for me is that I get X amount of games of watching him. I, I can't reveal my, you know, what like what we vote on in the Norris ballot and all that. Um, I'll say that I couldn't. Get him on my ballot. And I so wanted to. I couldn't justify it. But I think he's just absolutely phenomenal. Like I've said this to a couple people in you and whatever. Like he's the closest thing I've seen to Nicholas Lidstrom since Lidstrom retired. And, you know, we'll see how he develops and, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, you expect him to play twenty five to thirty minutes and and be a guy that's out there against, you know, Mark Stone and, you know, Riley Smith. March. So the, the whole top six, uh, you know, killing penalties and doing all that sort of stuff. I mean, the cool thing with all this is like, this is when the media, like Canadian media, the national media, and everybody gets focused on it. So if you haven't seen Skating, hey, if you haven't seen Shea Theodore as a media member, really, well, now you're zeroed in on it and then you come away from it and you say, wow, Theodore is really good. And you start to talk about him next year and that's kind of how it works. That's kind of how, you know, the, the reputations are made in the post season and, and guys, you know, get publicity going forward. That, that's sort of the, you know, give the, the giveaway the secret of the media. I mean, that's sort of the news cycle, but it, it, this is, this is sort of their chance because the spotlight's on both of them. It's going to be a great matchup. And I think, you know, again, it's going to be interesting because Klingberg, scored the goal tonight and he hopped up uh, into the rush to make it an odd man situation. And it's going to be something that the Knights are going to have to deal with all series. Rick bonus talked about it, that that's the modern game. Now is defenseman jumping into the rush. It's a four man rush, not a three man rush anymore. It's the way the NHL is. So it's going to be something that the Knights have to combat because they're going to continue to see it from the seam in the series. Yeah, another thing the Knights are going to have to combat the UConn you already
1: touched on, Dave, is just how, I guess, uniquely constructed this star's lineup is. Uh, Rick Bonus has, you know, done something really interesting, uh, which, like I said, you briefly touched on earlier, which is he's really spread out kind of the top guys on his teams in terms of the forwards. So he's got Joe Pavelski on one line. He's got Jamie Benn on his second line. Then Tyler Sagan and Corey Perry, who's a former Hart Trophy winner, on his third line, and then uh, Ranta, who scored the hat-trick that powered them to the Game 7 victory over the Colorado Avalanche uh, a couple hours before the Knights and Canucks played to even get them to this point, is on the fourth line with Rope Hintz, who is not a necessarily bad player either. So, Bonus, you know, doesn't have a supercharged top line right now. He's instead chosen to create basically... You know, not four necessarily even lines, but, you know, four lines that are basically all a half step maybe down from each other. And it's much different than what the Knights have seen throughout the playoffs so far where, you know, the Blackhawks, it was a good top line, a pretty good second line, and, you know, not so much in the bottom six. And I think the disparity was even greater in the Canucks series just in terms of the Canucks top two lines uh when they got healthy with Tyler Toffoli in there are really really good lines but the bottom six you know i believe literally you know led to one goal in seven games against the knights so the depth edge has been so so crucial for the knights we've seen that with how often alex tuck has been involved in the scoring based on how dallas is lining up i think it's going to be a lot harder for the knights to have that kind of obvious
0: edge down their lineup yeah, 100% think? so like one guy that you didn't mention is Dennis Gurionov who at least tonight lined up on the fourth line to begin with and he was their leading goal, sc- goal scorer. he was the only guy that hit 20 goals for them so their fourth line guy was their leading goal scorer. you know like how many teams present that issue and if you're going to match up and you're going to say oh I want my fourth line I got uh, you know out there against their fourth line well, then that means Reeves and Carrier and whoever their center is, is going against essentially their leading goal score. That's a major responsibility for them. That's not just going up against, you know, other guys who are out there to kind of grind and wear a team down and, and play the way that, you know, the Knights fourth line does. That's a major, major defensive assignment. So it puts uh, it, it puts a different sort of pressure on you. You know, when you go on the ice, your mind is different because you have to be aware that if I turn over the puck, this thing is, you know, it's going to end up in the back of the net, whereas maybe another fourth line, you know, maybe you can get away with it. So, you know, the the mental, I guess, um, you know, concentration that you have to have. And, and that's what, it, you know, maybe Nate Schmidt talked about that a little bit tonight of... You get to this point and you're down to the final four and you have to be good. And it takes, you know, a different level of game. So we'll see, it'll be interesting to see kind of the chess match. And if Pete DeBoer adjusts his lines to kind of combat that at all, or if he just kind of, you know, you know, it says, Hey, third line, Hey, fourth line, this is your responsibility. You know, you you have to be accountable and, and you have to shut them down. And if they can't, you know, then, then maybe that's going to be an issue for the Knights going forward. Yeah, no, I think I definitely agree with you that the
1: chess match could get fascinating because, of course, you know, while we're talking about how how the stars are deploying their lines might, you know, make it a little easier for them to gain a depth edge, obviously, it leaves them vulnerable because they don't have that necessarily top end line that could maybe match up with the Knights when their top six is rolling. But, of course, the Knights do not have their top six rolling tonight. And that's part of what the Stars do so well is that, uh, you know, they play that really strong defensive game that can frustrate opponents. And that's actually the last thing I want to touch on is the Stars did such a good job once they got that early lead tonight, kind of shutting things down. They were especially good in the neutral zone. They really made it hard for the Knights to, you know, transition the puck with speed of any sort, they were so physical to kind of muck things up as well. But we've seen also throughout the postseason, the Stars can win shootouts, too. And that's something they didn't necessarily show in the regular season. But that's how they were able to beat such a high-powered offensive team in Colorado. Is they just outscored them a lot of the times. And the Game 7 that they won, which, as I mentioned, you know, uh, Kiviranta scored a hat trick in. That was a 5-4 game in overtime. So this Stars team, much like you know the Knights have shown us this postseason, can win in different ways. And I think that's another kind of thing that shows us that the Dallas team is just on a different level than what the Knights have experienced before is because they can kind of adjust their game and still find a way to win. And it'll be interesting to see kind of how they... Decide to end up attacking the Knights because I thought today Dallas started out pushing the tempo a lot. And then as the game kind of progressed and the clock got kind of, you know, lower and lower, they shifted back into regular season mode and were able to kind of really assert
0: themselves and protect the lead. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's going to be interesting, like you pointed out, to see how they attack this series and what they want to do. I wonder how much of their... I guess, offensive output and breakout and explosion was Colorado's goaltending. I don't know. And I, the one thing I'll say is that just fact, like whoever the Knights put in net is going to be better than Michael Hutchinson and probably better than Pavel Frank was playing at that point in the series before he got hurt, to be quite honest. So maybe that's an adjustment that the Stars just make right off the bat that they figure look where they're going to face better goaltending from the Knights they themselves are going to have to play a, a tighter style or closer to the vest style and maybe that means it's a cagey series maybe it doesn't mean that it gets wide open all that being said i think at this point what the knights need to do is figure out a way to score because right now it's just not happening i mean mark stone william carlson have one goal each in the past 7 games Riley Smith, Jonathan So Zilch in the past seven games. I think Patriceretti's nothing in the past four. So they're the the Knights top six, they need to find a way to put the puck in the back of the net, and you know, I guess break the seal, whatever you want to say, and, and figure out a way to kind of let that get contagious throughout the lineup. Cause right now, you know, it's kind of working the other way. And I think you know the the sticks started to get gripped tight. You start to think a little bit. I mean, uh, Patrick even made a comment kind of before you know Game One about how you know they thought at points in that series against Vancouver it was going to be impossible and they didn't think they were going to score and all these sorts of things. So, so you know it was in their head. And and right now the longer this goes, the more we ask them questions and they have to hear it and start talking about it amongst themselves. You know, then it becomes an issue, and and I think until those guys, those top end guys, figure out a way to break through, you know, then we're going to be talking about you know maybe a short series for the Knights. I don't know. Yeah, I guess
1: we'll see how the Knights' offense is able to bounce back from Game Two of this series. That will be at 5 p.m. Tuesday on NBC Sports Network. For those of you that want to watch on TV, you can also listen on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, As a reminder, we're going to be recording post-game podcasts for you guys the rest of the postseason, so make sure to uh, refresh whatever podcast app you use, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, etc., either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, because we'll be breaking down all the action right here on the Golden Edge podcast. Before we sign off for the night, I want to remind everyone that this podcast is sponsored by the DeCastro Verde Law Group, we are also presented by DoorDash, Sunday Ticket, and Favor, drinkafavor.com. Also, please check out all our work at ReviewJournal.com and rate, review, subscribe. Whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this one. It helps people find us. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, i am Ben Ghost. That was Dave Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard.